Life is dangerous. Always has been, always will be. The only thing that changes through the ages is where the danger lies. Now, today, we don't have to worry about being eaten by dinosaurs unless you live next to an alligator pond. But we still have predators coming after us, human predators who stalk us on the internet trying to scam us out of our money or our stuff. We've beaten physical diseases like bubonic plague and smallpox and polio, and we're working on COVID. But to take the place of the physical diseases, now we've got mental conditions of depression and attention deficit disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, we don't have to worry about walking around anymore, about quicksand or wild animals, but then we climb into these metal tubes that whisk us along the ground at 80 miles an hour or take us through the air at a couple hundred miles an hour. Life is dangerous. Always has been, always will be. And there's no escaping that. There's no such thing as perfect safety. There's no bubble that you can live in that can protect you from every illness or injury that comes along because accidents and unforeseen events and disease and natural disasters and unkind people and bad luck are inescapable elements of life. Manure happens. And manure happens to everyone. You cannot escape all risk. There's no way to do that. The only thing we can do is manage it. And risk management means sniffing around to see where the manure might be, trying to avoid stepping in it, but being ready to wipe it off when we do. Life is dangerous for everyone, even for those of us who are in God's family. You say, but wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought, I thought a relationship with God was my ticket out of trouble. I thought that would make life easy and safe. Eh, wrong. Thank you for playing. Nope. Being in a relationship with God does not exempt us from trouble because we live in the same bent and broken world that everybody else does. And we face all the same dangers that everybody else does. Our relationship with God does not get us out of trouble. God never promises to get us out of all of our messes. He does, however, promise to be with us always, even to the end of the age, in our messes, and always to get us through. So a relationship with God is a vital part of risk management, but it does not erase all risk because a relationship with God carries its own kind of dangers. You say, what? What? A relationship with God is dangerous? Yes, says Everyone who's ever followed Jesus for very long, yes, say 11 of the apostles who were murdered as martyrs for their faith, and the 12th one, John, whom the Romans tried to kill twice, but he wouldn't die. They made him drink poison, it didn't kill him, so they dipped him in boiling oil, but he just floated to the top like a french fry, so they pulled him out and they sent him off to this little rocky island, and that's where he wrote the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and he ended up dying of old age, but he's the only one of the twelve who did. Life is dangerous, even for those of us in God's family, especially for those of us in God's family. And there are risks to this relationship with God. And we heard four of those this morning. And they are, you might see God. 
And God might call or command you to do something you think you don't want to do. And God is going to put you together with people. And He might ask you to give more than what you initially intend to do. Now, all of those sound like there should be good things, and God intends for them to be good, and God does those for the same reason He does everything else, because He loves us and He wants us to get to know Him better. But we need to consider this stuff because we, before we say yes to too much of this Jesus stuff, we need to weigh the risks and the rewards to see if the rewards outweigh the risks or if it's the other way around. Because there are risks to this relationship with God, starting with, you might see God. Now, Moses today asked God, show me your glory. Now, this is Moses. Moses spent 40 days on top of a mountain with God, getting the Ten Commandments. Moses, who talks to God every day, face to face, and you say, okay, Moses, it's not good enough. You get to hear from God. Now you want to see Him? And God replies, no one can see my face and live. Now, what's up with what, what's with that? Is it like, like the raiders of the lost ark, you know, when the, when the Nazis peek into the Ark of the Covenant and their faces melt off? Or is it like Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade when the bad guy drinks from the wrong cup and dries up and turns into dust and blows away? Is it because God doesn't want you to know who He is and if you look too close, He'll kill you? No, no. God is so amazingly astoundingly, astonishingly glorious that if we were ever to see Him face to face in all of His glory, we would be so filled with bliss and joy and ecstasy that we would just explode. Now, I hope that you have had times in your life that you felt close to God, that you felt like He was right there with you and you were with Him. It may have been during a song. It may have been at church. It may have been time by yourself. It may have been in nature. It may have been looking at a piece of art. It may be some time that you were reading the Scriptures or in prayer, but some time that you felt so close to God and you were just sweet being there. But, but when that episode was over, you were exhausted and breathless. That's how heaven is going to be all the time. And our mortal bodies are not able to handle that much joy and ecstasy, which is why we get a new body at the resurrection, so that we can handle the awe and the wonder of the presence of God forever, because otherwise we'd be just like a piece of popcorn and... So a risk of a relationship with God is that we might see God. And when that happens and God shows us Himself and He turns up the light, not only do we get to see more of God, then we also get to see more of ourselves with all of our blemishes. Now, probably all of us have had this experience. You stumble into the bathroom early in the morning and you pass the mirror and you go, whoa, when did that happen? You know, that, that pimple or that mole or that, that gray hair or that receding hairline or that wrinkle or that gut or that hair growing places that you never had hair before. And, and you go, and you know, that didn't just happen today. You just happened to notice it today. And that's how God deals with us in His grace and His mercy. He doesn't come in and just turn on the sun and all of His blazing, hazing glory so that we see all of our sin and selfishness at the same time. He comes to us gently and kindly. And He lets the dawn 
day, the day dawn on us and the light comes up just a little bit at a time so that we see our sin one at a time so we can deal with the yuck inside of us. And He does that gradually and gently rather than showing us everything inside of us all at once because we would be overwhelmed at the enormity of what needs to be cleaned. The risk of a relationship with God is we might actually see God. But the reward outweighs the risk. It gets worse. (laughs) It gets worse. If we see God, He might call us or command us to do something we think we don't want to do. The psalm today opened up and we prayed, the Lord is king, which means God is God and we are not. God's the boss and we are not. God's in charge and we are not, which means He can tell us what to do rather than the other way around. We still try though, don't we? We we try to tell God what to do. That's what we do in prayer lots of times. But the risk is that God, God might call us or command us to do something we think we don't want to do. Now, 40 years ago, when I was a freewheeling, Bible-believing, non-denominational, charismatic kind of Christian, I heard God tell me to go to work at an Episcopal church, you know, where they do the same thing every Sunday, and they worship out of a book. And I said, surely not. And God said, yes, go, and don't call me Shirley. And then when I was an assistant rector in a parish that was struggling with a building program, I remember telling God, I never, ever want to build a building. And God just smiled and said, that's nice. That's nice. And then I came here. And God told us as a congregation that you need to double your space because I've got twice as many people that I want you to serve as you have here in your parish family now. If you have come here since we built all of that, raise your hand. Okay? God prompted us to do that for you because He knew you were coming. We didn't. God did. And He wanted there to be space for you. Some time ago when live streaming stuff on the internet became possible, I remember telling God, we're never going to do that. I'm not going to give people the... I don't want to make it so people won't come in person and I don't want to deny them the experience of the sacrament, you know, in their hands. And then COVID happened. And what we found is as we invested in all the infrastructure and the technology, we're now reaching 600 to 2,000 people a week through the two services that we live stream. We never imagined that that could have happened. And we're giving more communion away now than ever in person and in drive through and by mail. Now, the risk of a relationship with God is he might, he might call or command you to do something you think you don't want to do. But the rewards always outweigh the risk. This relationship with God is dangerous because... You may see God, He may ask you to do something you think you don't want to do, and He's going to put you together with people. Now, God intends that for, to be a good thing. In the second chapter of Genesis, God said, it is not good for a person to be alone. Today, Paul, as he's writing to his friends in Thessalonica, writes, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. 
God puts us together with people so that we won't be alone and so we can encourage and pray for each other. And that's what people often do, but not all of them and not all of the time. When God puts us together with people, there's always the risk of persecution. Now, the first several centuries after Jesus, the Roman Empire periodically persecuted Christians and stole their stuff and put them in jail or killed them. That still happens in some Muslim and communist countries. Now, in the United States, the First Amendment of the Constitution protects us from being arrested for getting together to worship. At least it still does in the state of Florida. But it does not erase the possibility that people might object to our faith or mock us for our faith or treat us differently from any other group that might try to gather. That still happens. There is that risk. This relationship with God, when we, He puts us together with people, we risk persecution and we risk disappointment. Every human being in your life is going to let you down sometime, some way, some place. Your parents aren't perfect. Your family is flawed. Your spouse is selfish. Your kids are going to grow up and leave. And church people, especially us clergy, we're just as, as inconsiderate and selfish and unkind as everybody else. The risk of God putting this together with people is that we risk persecution, we risk disappointment, and we risk disease. COVID-19 is not the first health threat that's ever struck humanity or the church. There have been periodic plagues all throughout history. And since the 1800s, when we discovered germs, every time a new disease emerges, well-meaning people start crying out, the church needs to quit jamming people together, and you certainly need not to drink out of the same cup. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? But in the last hundred years, however, there have been numerous scientific medical studies that have concluded, though it is theoretically possible that someone might catch something, a disease from a common cup, it's never actually been recorded to have happened. And other studies have shown that people who take communion by common cup as often as every day don't get sick any more frequently than people who take communion out of an individual cup or who don't take communion at all. Google it. Okay? Google medical studies about common cup and communion, and thousands of articles will come up ranging from the United States Center for Disease Control to the Los Angeles Times to the British Journal of Medicine, the Lancet. Okay? And in there, it all says the same thing. The science says that it has never been proven that a common cup is harmful. Theology says there's all kinds of benefits to the common cup, so we each get to weigh the risks and the rewards, does the, does the risk outweigh the reward or is it the other way around? Now, this question is actually moot for us right now because our bishop has forbade us from having a common cup. And as irritating as that mandate might be, there are many bishops in the Episcopal and the Roman Catholic tradition all over the world who have forbidden their people to take communion in any way. 
There's lots of folks around the world who have not had the sacraments since March. Compared to them, we're gold, okay? And communion is not the only way that we're trying to manage the risk of this disease. We got stripes on the floor to keep you six feet apart. We got X's in the pew. Don't sit in the X's, okay, so that you've got your own space and you're six feet apart. We've got lines on the altar rail keeping the six feet apart. We got fewer people up here on the altar and fewer in the choir and the band so that they could stay far enough apart. We've got masks and hand sanitizer out in the narthex. So we're doing our part to try to manage the risk of this disease. And for those who continue to isolate, we're live streaming this service and the French service in the afternoon. We, will, we do drive-through communion, and we will mail you communion a month's worth if you ask for it. And we've just started a couple of weeks ago. We're now posting on Facebook and YouTube, Diving Deeper, which is my walk through the, whole, the Old Testament, the year-long walk through the Old Testament. And we're doing that for those who have weighed the risk and feel that the risks outweigh the rewards for being here in person. For those of us, however, who have weighed and, and come to the opposite conclusion, we're doing all of our same stuff in all of the same ways and all of the same places because... Uh, you've looked at the evidence and you've made your choice and you feel like it's safe or it's safe enough because remember, there's no such thing as complete safety. You feel it's safe enough to be here. That's why we don't, we, we welcome masks, but we don't require them. That's why you're welcome to sit in the pew during the peace and wave or get a mill around and touch people, that it's up to you because see, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you've looked at, the, at your own personal health and your condition and your demographic and your age and that you've made a wise decision. And I'm not going to cut you off from anything that you feel would be helpful and healthy for you. Because if I see that, that cutting you off and denying you the sacrament or denying you the opportunity to be together or denying you the opportunity to worship God actually poses more risk for you spiritually and emotionally and relationally and financially than the risk to you physically of being together. But once again, I trust you. And whatever you decide, we honor. Because you're, you're grown-ups. And as for me, in this, my commitment to you is that I am here for you, not the other way around. So I'm going to be here, whether you're here or not, and how many ever of you are here or not, because I'm here for you, not, you're not here for me. Which means that I will be as close to or as far from you as you decide. If you want to wave, I'll wave. If you throw out a fist or an elbow, I'll bump. If you want to hug, my arms are open because I've looked at, at for me personally and my robust health, I've, I've looked at it and I feel like that the reward far outweighs the risk. But that's my decision and whatever you decide, I honor. Well, there's one last risk of this and that is, came, came from Jesus. Jesus who says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now, we all understand God wants us to give, and I hope in this Messiah's way season that you have volunteered to serve somehow and that you're going to give financially. But the problem with this give to God what is God's is that since God made everything, everything is God's. 
And if everything is God's, then that means that He can ask you to give more than what you initially think you want to give. Now, the good news is neither I nor anyone else in the Messiah family is going to call you up and say, you know, I'm looking at your financial commitment here, and uh, you can do better. We don't, that's not how we roll, okay? My promise to you is I will never ask you to give more. I will ask you to pray more. And if God tells you to give more, then, then do it. But once again, I trust you. I trust you to pray and to think and to do the right thing. Life is dangerous, always has been, always will be. It's dangerous even for those of us in God's family. And a relationship with God is dangerous. We run the risk of seeing God. We run the risk of God's calling or commanding us to do something that we don't think we want to do. We run the risk of being together with people and risking persecution and disappointment and disease. And there's always that risk that we decide we want to give something and God might ask us for more. All of those risks are real. But the rewards, the rewards are worth it.